What an encouragement to hear Olivia's testimony and how God has spoken to her. We're going to hear God speak to us now from the Bible and today's teaching text comes from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, church. We are this summer in a series called The Language of Prayer, and uh, we are in in the deep dive of uh, the first of our three values, presence, formation, and love. Uh, I notice that when I immerse myself into those three environments, I am uh, beautifully and organically grown into the likeness of Jesus and into who he intended me to be. Uh, So during the summer, the language of prayer is us attempting to build rhythms and practices that leave us lingering and abiding with Jesus. Now, it does spill over into formation and love because these things are not linear progressions, but rather like a spiral deepening into each of them. We just circle back to them the whole time. And last week, Caleb started out by uh, talking about how our perspective changes when we are in the presence of God, the big why of prayer. Uh, And from this week, we're getting a little bit practical and the weeks to come will become even more practical, dealing with things like how to pray the scriptures, how to intercede for people, how to pray in delight and in sorrow, how to pray for justice, and a number of other kinds of prayers because Ephesians 6, 18 says, we need to offer up all kinds of prayers uh, to God. Now, again, quickly, why prayer in this moment that our nation needs action, where our nation in its pain needs us to act? The amazing thing is that Jesus says that the praying people of God is the place where justice will be found. There's an amazing account of Jesus in all four Gospels. All four writers decided that this was really important, where uh, they recount Jesus coming to the temple, seeing them buying and selling stuff for people to make sacrifices. And he turns over the tables in a moment of holy anger. uh, And he says this, he says, My father's house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, all ethnos, all ethnicities. And what he had found, the reason he's saying that was there was discrimination uh, ethnically and discrimination in social class distinction that made it easy for some to access the presence of God, the house of prayer, and not for others. And so he responds by saying, you have made it into a den of robbers. Now, amazing thing about that is that instead of a place where all persons are on equal footing, which is the place uh, that that we're supposed to be as the people of God, uh, they have robbed some of the privilege. And he's saying that prayer and justice are inseparable. That, that, That being a people of prayer necessitates us becoming those who invite all equally. And so this call to prayer is a call 
for taking care of the poor. It's a call to welcome the immigrant. It's a call to stand up for those who are uh, oppressed. Prayer and justice, according to Jesus, are inseparable. Now, because of the place of prayer, in the place of prayer, our hearts are transformed. We, we pick up the heart of God when we're in the place of prayer. And therefore, if we are a praying people, we will be greatly grieved by injustice, by inequality. And it starts by hearing the very voice and heart of God. And so we may, uh, or some may claim that we are a Christian nation, but uh, I don't think according to this equation, we are necessarily a praying nation or a nation that prays the way that scriptures seem to indicate. And so we hope that in your personal time, in the group time, uh, as you can continue to meet over the summer, that these uh, rhythms will be practiced, massaged into our culture so that we would be the people of God who act in our world from a place of having been with Jesus. It's from that place that we get formed, that our world gets formed. Because remember, if Christ is formed in us, then Christ lives among the people of New York City. So all that said, uh, let's pray and uh, jump into it. God, this morning we come again to hear your voice, to meet with you, to know you, to see you. You are the self-revealing, self-disclosing God. And we want to know you more, the living God, the one who breathed and spoke and gave us life. Do that again today, we pray in your name. Amen. Holy ground. In, uh, in 2006, on a beautiful spring day, uh, we had a, a significant encounter uh, with God, I believe, in a little town called Wellington, uh, about an hour outside of Cape Town. We had driven there because we had a meeting with an adoption agency or a social work, work agency, and part of what they do was adoptions. And uh, it was a big day, lots of emotions, and Lisa and I made our way there. We were rushing, we were late. And uh, one of the things that became clear in this first meeting we had of this path that God was leading us on was that uh, the people counseling us said uh, that there is no way in South Africa at that stage that, uh, th that adopting a white child is possible. I guess they said that to just kind of dispel some fears that they've seen people had. And we, we responded by saying, well, we're here to consider adopting a child that needs a home, no matter what uh, color their skin is. And we, we went through this process um, and left at the end of it, went to go get some breakfast at, at, a, at a shopping center down the, down the road and, and stopped in this parking lot. And on our way back to our car, I was stopped by an old man in the parking lot that was trying to sell me something. And uh, as we've learned to do so well, you, you, you try to courteously uh, avoid people uh, that interject into your life in inconvenient moments. Uh, I tried to, but he stopped me and I, I, I politely said that I, I'd, I'd not buy something from him on that day. And then he paused and he said, are you willing to talk for a minute? And I said yes, and he asked me a few questions, knows nothing about me, doesn't know why we're there, doesn't know what we're doing there, doesn't know where I live. 
And halfway through about a minute of conversation, he said this. Is Godfriesende man, which means, are you a God-fearing man? And as you can imagine, I was startled, but it got my attention and I responded in the affirmative. And then he said this amazing phrase. May you be blessed with children of different skin color because God looks at the heart, not at the skin. I do not know where that came from. I don't know why he felt to say that to me, but he stopped me, got my attention and spoke that over our lives. And in that moment, that parking lot became holy ground. Now, I can tell you story after story of God speaking, both the, the dramatic and the normal. In fact, just literally before I started uh, a recording here, a, a friend, Armistead, spoke over me a, a, a picture that he felt God was saying. And that was holy moment and a holy ground. And I can tell you many stories. But does this mean God only speaks in exceptional circumstances? Does he speak at all since Bible times? And if he does... Can I hear him? And uh, why does he speak to us? And how should we respond if God is speaking to us? These questions are important. And so I want to speak on conversations with God or more specifically on hearing the voice of God. This is by no means comprehensive, but I hope it inspires a longing to hear the voice of God. One of the greatest problems we have in our cultural moment in the Permian problem of white supremacy is the fact that white people don't listen well. Or maybe all people, but in this particular case, we don't listen well. We're supposed to. When we're supposed to listen uh, and learn, we actually uh, try to, to speak, to debate, to give air to our voice and, and often just kind of verbally vomit ignorance. Um, I'm well aware of the fact that I'm here doing the talking today and, and so I'm still learning this, this journey of when the moments are to speak up and when the moments are to, to keep quiet and so I'll walk uh, on this thin line as God leads. But the good news is that uh, half of the rest of the series is going to be preached by, by persons of color and half of those sermons are going to be uh, preached by women of color. And I'm really excited about it. That's the moment where if I was an old school preacher, I'd have in my, in my notes here in brackets, secure a hallelujah from the crowd because it's worth celebrating uh, that, that very fact. But as we, as we come to our text, the, the, the thing I, I want us to remember is in prayer, we also do the same. We often speak more than we listen. Here's what Jesus says. Remember, in this text, the, the context of it is his life, uh, Jesus' life, birth, um, uh, death, resurrection, all of that was the ushering in of new creation. It was Genesis redone. It was, he was called the new Adam because he came uh, to, to live in a new way, to show what was supposed to be. And so here is the first of Jesus' temptations recorded in Matthew that show how he was tempted, but he didn't succumb to that temptation. It's a redo of Genesis because in Genesis, uh, Adam and Eve were tempted to eat of fruit, even though they had plenty. Jesus comes in and he, he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. He is hungry. The text says he's hungry and then he is tempted 
by food. And he does not succumb to the temptation. The first major point in this text is this. God speaks. There is an expectation that the living God speaks. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is interesting because Jesus is actually quoting Deuteronomy. And this is what Deuteronomy 8 verse 3 says. And he humbled you, God humbled you, speaking to the nation of Israel, and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, so that he might uh, make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. This is the, if you didn't know now, you know moment. God allowed a number of things to happen to the Israelites in order to communicate to them one very important and life-giving truth. They need to hear the words of God to be vitally sustained. And this is what it says. God let them hunger. That's perplexing. It's puzzling. Is that kind? Is that the kind of God we serve? But we we see that in the big picture, now looking back, he allowed a physical and temporary struggle in order for them to gain eternal perspective and eternal sustenance. Sometimes when we neglect hearing the word of God, or, are we, or, or we're distracted by other voices. God uses all kinds of things that we don't expect to get our attention. He has used disasters, illnesses, weather, burning bushes, animals, dreams, friends, pandemics, epidemics, plagues, books, angels, circumstances, spouses, divorces, heartbreaks, parents, great leaders, poor leaders, job losses, and even old guys in a parking lot selling things to get our attention and speak to us. We're told in Scripture, Romans 8, God can turn all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Any of those circumstances. We're told that he is near to us and in him we live and breathe and have our being. The question is, do you notice him? Do you have a clear conviction that you need to have the word of God speaking over your life regularly for sustenance and vitality? Have you lost the expectation that God wants to speak to you daily? How do you take notice? Perhaps like old school explorers, we need those little books and pens and taking field notes just so we can remind ourselves the moments where, where God's trying to reveal something to us. Perhaps we'll pay better attention. How do you think God's trying to get your attention in this moment? I think the pandemic on a large scale is not God's doing, but it is God using something to get our attention. I need to hear God's voice to be vitally sustained. We are sustained by every word that comes 
from the mouth of God. Expect that God is speaking. But there are other voices, other voices that say in this case, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Other voices that sow doubt, other voices that sometimes are deeply ingrained in our hearts and our culture. The great opposition to leaning on God is our sense of self-sufficiency. And the temptation here was for Jesus to be self-sufficient apart from his father. Some of you might remember Aslan in the, in the Chronicles of Narnia speaking to Prince Caspian and saying, If you have felt yourself sufficient, it is proof that you are not. See, doubt comes in in the Garden of Eden and doubt comes in here too. And doubt comes into your and my hearts when we go, is God really speaking? Is he really there? Is this really God trying to get my attention? The temptation of other voices. They're programmed into our hearts, our minds, our cultures. And we're often blind to them. They're not as obvious as we like them to be to notice and oppose them. In 1 Kings chapter 13, there's this incredible story, uh, quite random, of a prophet unnamed who is sent to go and deliver a message. And as this prophet goes, God says to him, uh, go and deliver this message, but do not receive food or eat or drink with anybody in the place that you're going to. That's my command. And he goes there and, and another prophet hears of him and what he has said. And this prophet comes to him and says, hey, come and eat and drink at my place tonight. And he says, no, no, God said I'm not allowed to do that. And then this, the second prophet goes, uh, no, no, God told me that you are allowed to do that and you can come to my place. And uh, he goes, okay, let's do it. So he goes and eats at this prophet's house and God speaks and says, unfortunately, because you've disobeyed my voice, you're going to be killed. Th that's the punishment. And as he walks home, he gets attacked by a lion and killed by a lion. Just a dramatic story uh, that, that's intended to prove that you should listen to the voice of God because there's some serious consequences. No, you won't get eaten by a lion if you don't hear or listen to the voice of God. But Proverbs 18.21 says this, Death and life is in the power of the tongue. And Jesus says in John 6, The words that I have spoken are spirit and and life. And he is perpetually pointing to the fact that if you listen to God's voice, there awaits for you life and vitality and sustenance even in the worst of times. But if you listen to the other voices, no, a lion won't eat you, but there will be death. There will be a slow giving up of the vitality that God intends for us. It matters which voices you choose to let influence you. One of those voices are doubt, and here's an argument for God speaking, but the best way to overcoming, uh, overcoming that doubt is to actually just hear Him speak. We'll get to that. Firstly, the argument. Biblical example shows us that God spoke from the moment of creation. He spoke in Genesis and He created. And He spoke all the way through Revelation. He spoke to the Old Testament prophets in many different ways. In creation, He walked with Adam and He talks with Adam. And, 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 and it's like the relationship is just beautiful and mutual. Then Jesus comes and Scripture says He spoke through Jesus. This beautiful act of self-disclosure that He does with Jesus 
being sent for our sake. And uh, Jesus says he won't leave us as orphans. He'll give us his spirit who will guide us. In other words, God gives us his very presence to continually speak to us as we move on in life. Paul then writes uh, at one point and says, if you don't see it this way, the way that he's busy describing, if you don't see it this way, God will make it known to you. So Paul himself had an expectation that God would speak himself to his hearers. Biblical example doesn't end. There is no evidence that God speaks through the Bible and in Bible times and never again. The second thing is God is by nature a communicator. God's very nature is one where he communicates, self-discloses, and God does not change. God still communicates. The third thing is God has something to say and we need to hear it. God has something to say. There's this phrase in the New Testament over and over from Matthew to Revelation that goes like this. Let him who has ears hear. And I think it it keeps being repeated because it, it, it awakens in us this idea that we can have ears and go through life and not hear the voice of God speaking to us. The last thing is we are creatures who need to hear God to be sustained. We are sustained according to this text by the very words of God. If you live right now even with a sense of depletion, then this might be God getting your attention saying, I want to speak over you so that you would be filled up again. How do we combat these pseudo voices except for the argument too is just by hearing God speak. Jesus's way in this text was to go to scripture to fill himself with the words of God. And when the greatest temptation came, he was able to go, oh, no, I know the narrative. I've heard the voice of God. The text becomes the primary way within which God speaks. Yes, Scripture is our way, but but, but we still have to interpret Scripture well and study it and understand it. And God speaks in so many other different ways. He was being, Jesus was being sustained by the very Word of God. He was practicing what He was preaching. The remedy for the endless, exhausting rat race of reverting to self-reliance for our sense of significance and change is hearing and paying attention to the voice of God. Habakkuk, one of the prophets, three chapters long, it's worth reading, has this incredible transformation. In the beginning, he voices his struggle to God a number of times. This is one of them. Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you do not save. He was angry at the, at the injustices around him and he was worried about that. And he's saying, God, where are you in this? And then God responds in a number of times and God responds by speaking to him. Look among the nations and see wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. And then if you go to the end of the book, the last few verses shows the change that happened in Habakkuk because he heard the voice of God. This is what he says. Though the fig tree will not blossom, nor the fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy 
in the God of my salvation. He is saying, if every physical sustenance stops, if everything ceases, I am still filled with the joy and vitality of God. And it is because he heard the voice of God. We are vitally sustained and transformed by the words of God. Now, I want to remind us that hearing God speak is not a moment. It's not a magic moment. It is a learning journey. It is a muscle that we developed as we notice him and and ask ourselves, what is he saying through certain events that are happening through people, through feelings that we we sense in us? And just in case it's not clear, all prayer uh, is not created equal. In, in, In a book called Armchair Mystics, Mark Thibodeau says, Uh, that we have four postures of growing in prayer. The first is talking at God. And in some ways, uh, even an atheist or unbeliever can try to do that or do that. And then there's talking to God, which is a little less hostile. And then there's listening to God. And then there's just being with God. All of those are legitimate. None, None of them should be eliminated. But we go on the journey of prayer as we learn to listen to God. Talking to God and hearing from God are not, not the same thing. They, they, they're both vitally needed, but not the same. There was a study done in the U.S. Uh, a while ago that said 79% of people actually talk to God. Like whether they believe or not, different religions, they talk to God. And it, it, it found that one in five agnostics or atheists talk to God at, at times during the, their week, during their work week. This was the study of over any given week. The difference is it's not 70% of people who stop to hear the voice of God. We default so much to our doing existence that when we are not productive, even in our relating to God, we move on quickly to all kinds of distractions. We are severely disadvantaged in our culture because our culture teaches us to communicate in ways that are fundamentally incongruent with the way our soul needs to communicate. Our attention span is dramatically reduced. Means of communication is not uh, of our day is not the way our souls are proven to find rest. And so don't get me wrong. God can speak through an Insta story. But the, the way our soul comes alive to the words of God is actually disconnecting from the ways that our culture communicates. Hearing or noticing God happens most readily from a place of stillness and silence. And those practices are ones we avoid a lot. Try it for two minutes. Put a clock on, five minutes. Put, put, put a timer on and see what happens to you when you just become still. You'll see how other voices distract your mind and heart instantly. There's one more thing I want to say about hearing, and that is that the Old Testament word, the, the Jewish idea of hearing is exactly the same idea as obeying. They actually don't have two different words for hearing and for obeying. David says in a psalm, Oh Lord, please hear my prayer. And the word is Shema. And David is not saying audibly receive what I'm giving to you. He is saying act upon what I'm asking you. In Luke 1, Elizabeth and John are pregnant and he says uh, in an exclamation that God has heard his prayer. 
He is not saying God has listened to him. He is saying God has acted upon his prayer. It is a Greek idea to understand, uh, to, to, to have to understand before obeying. The ancient Hebrew understanding was that if you obey, you will live your way into understanding. We quote very well the text, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. And that fits perfectly into the Greek Western worldviews. But the scripture actually says in John 8, 31, if you obey my word, you are my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. That's the idea that, that we're getting to. And Jesus lives that out when he speaks about sustenance, because in this text, our text, he says the word of God is the food that sustains him. In another text, John 4, he says this, a parallel. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me to accomplish his work. He's equating hearing the words of God and obeying in the same sentence. We need to understand that life comes often on the far side of obedience. That understanding comes on the far side of obedience. If we hear God and we obey him, we find freedom in life. Listen, he is speaking. Develop an expectation that God wants to speak to you daily. Notice and obey. Make stillness and silence daily practices experience the freedom that comes from hearing and obeying can you see is this just not the crucial crucial part of prayer stopping and listening to god's voice daily i can't think of a more crucial practice than hearing the voice the self-disclosure of the living god that is contained in his word what happens when the Father speaks? We've spoke, spoken about one aspect, and that is He sustains, but He also breaks strongholds. He affirms our identity. He guides and directs. He disciplines through His words. He brings us back to life. He resurrects. He rebukes ungodlinesses, uh, ungodliness in us and shows us the way to go. He calls and commissions us for His purposes. He shares Himself through His speaking. Hearing His voice is vital for our life as followers of Jesus. Re Jesus comes and he redoes Genesis by being sustained by the words of God and not giving way to the temptation to self-sustain. This is Elizabeth Barrett Browning, a, a, a line from a poem that she wrote. Earth is crammed with God, every common bush afire with God, but only he who sees takes off his shoes. Can you notice the places day after day where God is trying to meet you? And can you recognize the holy ground that is around you all the time? The tears of a friend, the pain of a stranger, the song of a bird in the park, the first snowfall, a line in a book, the still small voice or the thunderous exclamation, the critique of a spouse, the laughter of a child, the scriptures that are awakened in you by his spirit. Have you lost the expectation that God wants to speak to you today? What distracts you from noticing that he is speaking? Will you be still? Where can you notice him? What do you think he's saying to you 
even today. God is a God who is always trying to get our attention, but it is only those who notice, who take off their shoes and consecrate these moments as holy ground moments. He wants to speak to us. He wants to sustain us by his word that comes from his mouth. And Jesus, the living word, still speaks today. Let those who have ears to hear, hear the voice of a loving father speaking over you today.